Welcome everybody to the We Talk in Spaces podcast where we explore the power of connection. My name is Pastor Rico. I'm the outreach pastor here at Relove Church. And today we have with us Relove's very own Natalie. Natalie, Natalie. Natalie, you've been with us at Relove for how long now? Uh, over 10 years. Yeah. Uh, attending and yeah. then serving on and off. 10 yeah, years? 10 years, yeah. yeah. Nat- Natalie goes way back. Natalie is one of the one of the OGs of our church. I think you you've served on a lot of different teams. I know you've you served with your husband Keith um, on our production team mm-hmm. and worship teams. You're currently on our, our our worship team. And I remember even when you were the the secretary yeah. at our church for a while, one of our administrative coordinators as well. So hey, we're grateful to have you. Today's episode, we are um, going to be diving into a conversation that can be critical for a lot of people. Um, and really, we want to dive into um, a conversation on mental health. Uh, and as it relates to you specifically, Natalie, the month of May is uh, Mental Health Awareness Month. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, thank you for joining us and making yourself available and willing to just share a little bit about your journey and your story. And I think maybe that's probably just a, a good place to start is um, just tell us a little bit about your journey with mental health in general. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, thanks for sitting down with me. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. Um, my journey with mental health is, I like to say it's ongoing. Um, I don't think for anyone who has struggled with their mental health, I don't think you're ever done. Yeah. Um, that is something that you're kind of gonna be coping with for the rest of your life. Yeah. In terms of my specific journey with mental health, I mean, I've always uh, suffered from um, anxiety mm-hmm. as long as I can remember. Mm-hmm. All that comes with that, you know, your panic attacks, your things like that. I've also, you know, gone through very severe bouts of depression on and off over the years. So it's definitely been a journey that I am still on. Um, You know, I don't think, I think it's something that I will be on for the rest of my life. But it's something that I have learned a lot about Mm -hmm. through my journey. And I'm excited to to be here to to kind of share my story and yeah, talk about no, that. No, that's I, I I don't think we often. I'll tell you what I appreciate most about you, Natalie, relative to this conversation is I don't think we often have the opportunity to encounter people who can just um, declare that they are in a journey in a struggle with mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, as many of us may recognize, and I'm sure you're very well aware, there is so much stigma surrounding you mm-hmm. know mental health and that it affects or even diminishes or even um, makes conversations about mental health mm-hmm. almost non-existent sometime. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I definitely, it's, it's just refreshing for me personally to hear somebody say, hey, yeah, I'm on a journey. I've struggled with these things and I'm still struggling or um, I'm in a different place in my journey now than I have been. And I think that that in and of itself is mm-hmm. super powerful. For you, what do you feel is, what is the worst thing about, you You know, you mentioned a couple of things. Mm-hmm. You mentioned anxiety and depression. What is the worst thing about those things for you, if you were speaking to somebody who doesn't struggle with those things, what is it like? And and what is the worst part about it for you? Yeah, I think if I were speaking to someone who is not going through or it hasn't struggled with their mental health, the most 100 percent, the most difficult thing about uh, going through a mental health struggle is specifically that if you have never encountered it, if you've never been through it, you don't really understand hmm. It's very, very easy for someone to, for, you know, to, for me to say, 
yeah, you know, I struggle with anxiety. Just don't be anxious. Yeah. You yeah. know, yeah. the Bible says be yeah. anxious for nothing. Right. Okay. Problem solved. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's, and it, it's not that easy. And I think it's very difficult for people who have not gone through it to really understand we have no control mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A, a lot of the time. Right. You know, there are certain things that uh, are out of our control, mm-hmm. people that are going through a mental health struggle. There's certainly a lot of things that we can control. Um, but for the most part, nobody chooses mm-hmm. to struggle with their mental health. True. You know, nobody decide wakes up one morning and says i'm gonna have a panic attack today and that's gonna be fun you know so it's it's very much i think that's the hardest part is really finding people who understand what you're going through or at minimum don't invalidate what you're going through Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. does that make sense yeah absolutely that's huge yeah i know even 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 admittedly for myself i think before um, because I think I am one of those people. I'm mm-hmm. one of those people who I, I don't have any um, clinically diagnosed mental health, um, you know, conditions or struggles mm-hmm. myself. Um, but I think I at one point became aware of the reality that I was among those who always perceived anxiety and depression simply as emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, I'm like, okay, well, you can choose emotions. Mm-hmm. You can you can choose to be happy. You can mm-hmm. do things that make you happy so mm-hmm. that you're not depressed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I'm among the people who in the past, um, I, I'm fortunately no longer in that place, but I think, um, yeah, before I've I, my, my awareness uh, grew, I was one of those people who really thought that there was more of a choice involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I can definitely, I'm here to say to those who are listening, there's definitely a difference between the emotions of anxiety mm-hmm. and depression. And those both can be emotions that are valid as well. Definitely. But the difference with emotions and conditions with mental health is that another, in the conditions are actually your body responding and it can be a chemical imbalance. Exactly. It can be a trigger. It can be an experience or a response to a trauma that you've had. Mm-hmm. It can also be genetic. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, there's there's a, a lot to really take into consideration beyond just the emotional side mm-hmm. of of this struggle. So so let me ask you what what does um we also we often hear anxiety and depression coupled together. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were to separate those, what do they look like individually? How do they manifest themselves in your life individually? Sure. So um, my anxiety uh, presents itself through panic attacks for the most part. Um, I also, I mean, you know how uh, in the Avengers movies, the Hulk is like, sure do. the Hulk yeah. is like, I am always angry. Yeah. That's the secret. That's the secret. You're when, always when angry. You, when, you always, when you have anxiety, you're always anxious. Interesting. Um, it's not something that I am able to completely turn off Mm. so I can manage it. Yeah. You know, I have coping mechanisms that prevent me from going all the way over to, you know, the worst being a severe panic attack. Mm. Um, But there's always that kind of underlying baseline of anxiety when it comes to my depression. My depression can be very cyclical. Mm -hmm. So I go through periods of very, very deep depression Mm. Um, but through working on it, you know, specifically with a therapist, Mm. I can usually come out of those and those kind of come in waves, Mm. um, with anxiety, it's pretty much always there. Really? Mm -hmm. Interesting. 
That's really interesting. That's really good. That's really good to know. So at least for me. Yeah, yeah. sure, sure. And I'm sure, yeah, it looks different with everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you mentioned, you mentioned, I guess what I would imagine is one form of how you've become aware and educated about your mental health. You mentioned therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want you to talk a little bit about your experience with therapy, but before we get to that, I'm wondering for you, was there like a turning point or a breaking point um, where you felt either you had an experience that was like, okay, I need to get help? Or was there a time, or is this something that you had always been aware of and that you always were working on addressing? Or was there like a clear pivot point in your growth where you're like, okay, I need to do something about this? Yeah, Uh, no, there was definitely a clear pivot Mm. point. I was extremely against therapy. Really? Or medication or asking for help for a long time. Really? Um, I fought it. Mm. And I mean- It wasn't like nobody knew, you know, obviously Keith knew, my family knew, people told me to get help, you know what I mean? But I think it had to come from a decision that I made. Mm. And uh, the first time I ended up, I actually ended up starting therapy, uh, must have been about 2017. By that point, I mean, I had been having panic attacks almost daily. Really? Um, yeah, I was having panic attacks almost daily, severe mm. panic attacks. Um, every night I would have one and it kind of, and I still at that point was fighting it. Mm. Even seeing what it was doing to me, what it was doing to my family, what it was doing to my marriage, right. um, I still fought it. And What's really funny is once it hits you, it hits you. I was watching a TV show and this, uh, the main character in this TV show was, uh, struggling with depression specifically. And she had started taking medication and then she decided she was good, so she went off of the medication. And mm-hmm. it kind of showed that transition. And I know people who have gone through that and who have quit their medication cold turkey kind of can understand. You're good until you're not. Wow. And, yeah. it, and it, it hits you very quickly. So seeing that TV episode was t- couldn't have been more than 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a sitcom. And seeing her at the end say, no, I need help, mm-hmm. was kind of like wait a second, I need help. Mm. Maybe if I get help, maybe things will change. Mm. And I think for me, the hardest part of coming to that conclusion was thinking things will never change. Yeah, You know, even if I put in all this work, even if I go to therapy, even if I get on medication, it's never going to work. You're stuck. This is going to be your life from here until you or God chooses to end it. Mm. Because... I mean, that was no way to live, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. Um, but it was definitely not something that I came to quickly. Mm -hmm. It was definitely not something that I wanted to do. I mean, the first few times that I went to therapy, my husband had to be in the room with me for even for me to even walk through the door Really, because I it was I was just so against help of any kind. Mm. Um, and now, I mean, that's the best decision I've ever made. Wow. Wow. There's a, there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack even, even in that, um, story. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know a little bit more about 
when you say you were against it, you know, what are what are some of the forces or influences in your life that made you against seeking help? Um, I don't know that there's anything, you know, that I can pinpoint and say this was the one thing. Yeah. Right. I think that a lot of it um, comes from a lot of different places. I mean, internally, it was very much uh you shouldn't need help. Mm -hmm. You should be able to deal with this on your own. You, you know, get it together. Like Mm -hmm. you can figure this out on your own. And if you can't, well then it's your own fault that this is happening to Mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I'm also Latina in the Latino community. There's a very, very big stigma against getting any sort of psychological help, Mm -hmm. you know, you're a crazy person if you do that, right? Um, And then, you know, I think in the church as well, there is also a stigma, right? Mm -hmm. Um, There's always that message of just pray harder. You know, your faith might just not be as strong. Or you might need, you just need to get a closer relationship with God and all of that will, will go away. And that's not to say that that, doesn't help. Mm -hmm. Of course it does. Mm -hmm. You know, having a closer relationship with God is one of the steps, but Mm. there are other steps. You know, God has also put people on this earth, angels in in the form of therapists, you know, who can help you practically, you know, get through these medication is also you know, a huge, a miracle, Mm. you know, for God to have given us these tools to be able to get to where we need to be. Mm. But I think a combination of of all of those things, just, I was, I was very much against it. I think it was, it almost felt like I was giving up, even though I had given up, you know, but it felt like it was a, a further step into just complete defeat. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. you so you're saying at first the idea of getting help felt like giving it, up, giving up. That's interesting. Yeah, because <clears throat> I felt like I sh- I should be able to do it myself. Mm. You know, yeah. I should be strong enough. My yeah. faith in God should be strong yeah. enough. My inner character should be strong enough to just get rid of it. Right. You know. Right. And that's just not realistic. Mm. That's interesting. That's really, that's really, uh, that's, that's, it's quite a thought to really consider because I think when we, when we think about fighting and we think about, uh, growing and we think about overcoming something, it does not look like giving up. It looks like the opposite. It looks Mm -hmm. like pressure forward. Mm -hmm. It looks like, um, it looks like the, uh, it looks like showing up and showing out. It looks like overcoming these battles. It looks like, you know, nose to the grindstone, like Mm -hmm. a gritty kind of, you know, sweat on the brow. Like I need to work through this. That's Mm -hmm. what we think of when we think of fighting. Exactly. Uh, But we actually, in your instance, for you, it was quite the opposite. It was actually. I had to let go. Letting go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's huge. That's huge. That's huge. I, I really, I really appreciate that part of your story. I'm wondering, I'm wondering what, 
you, you know, you mentioned Keith, your husband, who was someone that basically, you know, held your hand for the few, the few first experiences you had with, with therapy. Um, here on the Spaces podcast, you know, one thing that we're doing is exploring the connection between people, the power mm-hmm. of connection between people. Um, and this year specifically, we're really, really focusing on um, counting and celebrating every time we connect with another person in a way where we feel the movement of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering w- if you have any spaces or connections with other people in your life that you may have experienced who were influential mm-hmm. or who the spirit used um, in your journey to um, in your journey currently or mm-hmm. even in your journey to like, hey, I need to get help. So I know mm-hmm. Keith is one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, are there others? Are there other people who were advocates for you? You may have had friends or families or, or, or peers mm-hmm. who may have supported you in some sort of way. Tell me a little bit about those spaces. Yeah. So, I mean, my family um, has always been incredibly supportive. Um, you mentioned, uh, earlier the different ways that, you know, anxiety can, can come to you. One of those being chemical imbalance, which I think is a big thing for me, but also genetics. Um, a lot of my family suffers with anxiety, you know? And so being able to sit down with, let's say my brother who has gone through this as well, you know, um, and and being able to talk to him uh, and see that he is also on his own journey, but he's willing to sit down and talk to me about mine is, you know, extremely helpful mm. to be able to to talk to someone who gets it. Yeah. You know, um, it can be very, very difficult. I mean, my my husband is great. Keith is great. Uh, and he's been incredibly supportive, but he's never struggled with any of these right, things. Right. So there's a level of getting it that is just not there, you know, and he does an incredible job of understanding as much as he can. But if you've never actually had a panic attack, you don't know what that feels like. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, And so to be able to talk to someone who has gone through it is incredibly valuable. Mm. That's really big. That's good. Okay. Um, You you, you mentioned something else that I kind of wanted to, to dive into as well. Um, in, in what it's like to be someone who's married, um, how, how has your mental health, um, or yeah, your journey with mental health, how does that play itself out in your marriage? Are there, I mean, I'm sure there's obviously struggles with some of that. And you mentioned that, that, that Keith has been a, you know, a great supporter Mm -hmm. in that area. I'm wondering if, if you have, if you have other, um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering. I'm wondering how, in your marriage, you know, your your journey with mental health has either affected the marriage or or affected the way you guys navigate. If you guys have had to learn to cope together, especially mm-hmm. being that he's someone who mm-hmm. who doesn't necessarily struggle with some of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what what could you say toward that end? Yeah, I mean, I'd be lying to if I said that it, my mental health does, did not affect my marriage. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, my mental health affects every single aspect of my life. So, um, of course, yes, it, it did, uh, affect my marriage. I mean, obviously if you're having a panic attack every day, you know, and the only person that's there with you is the person that you are married to that takes a toll. Of Mm -hmm. course it takes a toll, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, I think that it, it does take a special kind of person to be able to, 
try and be as understanding as possible and try to navigate. I mean, um, being able to actually get me to go to therapy and having to sit there with me in therapy for the first what couple of months that I went to therapy because I would not go in by myself. Like that's a lot of pressure to put on someone who's not, that's, this isn't their issue. You know what I mean? As much as they're married to you, like that's not something that, you know, on your wedding day, you're like, I'm signing up for all the panic attacks too. And I'm excited about that. You know, it's, it's, we say for better or worse. And, and in my marriage, that has been the case. You know, we've gone through some really hard times when it comes to this. Um, and he's been with me every step of the way, but it has taken a toll on him. Of course it has. And eventually, you know, uh, after that first, uh, kind of season of therapy and me getting to a pretty good place on the journey, he had to take some time for himself. You know what I mean? And he had to also see a therapist Mm. to be able to go through it. Because when he's helping me through a panic attack, he has no time Mm. to take care of himself and to really process, you know what I mean, what is happening. So he had to take some time for for some self-care for himself. And I think that's, something that's maybe not talked about a whole lot. Um, Support people need support as well. Because it can be incredibly, I mean, it's, it's exhausting, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's draining to be the person that someone who's going through a crisis depends on. Mm. Um, And that can be any sort of, you know, crisis. I mean, if you talk about, let's say somebody is sick you know, your partner is sick and you are their primary caretaker. That person is going to need caretaking as well, Mm. you know? Mm. So I think it's very important for not just people who are struggling with mental health, but also their families to be able to get their own help. Because even if you're not going through the anxiety and those feelings that deep depression, you're watching someone you love go through that. Yeah. yeah. So of course it's going to take a toll on you. Yeah. So I think that's super, super important that you have to take that time for yourself and find ways to take care of yourself in that process. Mm. <clears throat> How do you battle as the person in your guys' dynamic, at least as the person who is the one typically needing the support, mm. how do you battle the thoughts of guilt if there are any, mm-hmm. um, how do you know, how, how may you battle some of the negative aspects mm-hmm. of being that person? And then on the flip side, what advice would you give? And maybe this is even a good question for us to ask to Keith at some point. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give to the person who is the supporting person um, in general, even if it's outside the dynamic of a marriage? What advice would you give to the person who is a supporting person um, of somebody who may have experienced frequent mental health crises? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 100 percent there is guilt. There is an incredible amount of guilt, you know, to look at the person you love and to know that what you are going through is affecting them, whether you want it to or not, Mm. you know, is incredibly, it's a lot of pressure. Mm. And I think for me in particular, one of my big um, triggers is feeling like I'm a burden on someone else. Mm. And so during these 
you know, seasons of and the ways of this journey, I have very much felt like I have been a burden, mm. you know, whether he has made me feel that way. Absolutely not. Right. You know what I mean? But that's the reality of to me is that's the reality of the situation. Yeah. You know, yeah. I need you and you are taking care of me. So I think that um, the only way that I have been able to navigate those feelings of guilt um, those feelings of being a burden is through therapy, mm. you know? Um, and ultimately I think that me going to therapy saved our marriage Wow! because I was 100% dependent on only him. Mm. You know, I also had my family who was very supportive, but he was the one that was there with me every single day. And what needed to happen was I needed to, take all of that that I was putting on him and put it on a third party. And that's where therapy came in. And in being able to do that, I mean, um, I have gone through four or five different seasons of therapy um, on and off for the last six years. Okay. Okay. And so it's waves, right? I go to therapy, I do great. And then eventually I need a tune up. So I Mm -hmm. go back and I find that during the times when I am in therapy, my marriage gets better Wow, because we don't have that pressure. So I would, I would recommend um, if you're, if somebody's feeling this way and if somebody's feeling like maybe I'm putting a little bit too much on my spouse, maybe cause they're your only sounding board or, you know, you just don't feel comfortable discussing it with people that, you know, maybe your friends or your family finding that third party. And just honestly, sometimes I sit down with my therapist and I just talk about nothing, mm. but it's all of that. All of those feelings that you are like, I don't really want to share this with anybody else, with anybody that I know, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. it's, I mean, as as much as you're like, okay, I'm in therapy, I'm, you know, getting it together, I'm doing the mental health thing, I'm proud that I'm doing this. There's a lot of things that you just don't want to share with the people mm-hmm. that you love because sometimes there are th- those are things that could hurt them, yeah. you know, could hurt their feelings or could... Um, you know, damage them in some way. And so having this neutral third party mm. is just, I think, invaluable. Mm. Yeah, that's huge. <clears throat> so a lot of really good advice there. A lot of really good advice. What would you, uh, what would you say for the Keiths out there? Um, also seek therapy. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm... You need help too. <laughs> listen, everybody needs help. Yeah. I think... Um, and I, I don't think that you have to wait until, and I think this is the biggest thing, not just for the Keiths out there, but for everybody out there. I don't think you have to wait until you are at a breaking point to seek help. I, like I said, I, I go to my therapist sometimes after a few months because I just want to talk to somebody and I need a, I need a tune-up, mm, you know? Yeah. Um, it's not, uh, okay, I'm going to do therapy for two months, and that's going to solve all of the issues that I've had in my life for the past 30 years. Mm-hmm. Done. Mm-hmm. I'm good. 
never again. No. Yeah. You know, it's it's it really is a journey. And I think for support people out there, they also have to recognize that just because the person that you love you feel like you got them back. Mm. That doesn't mean that you're done. Mm. You know, it's it's going to be a process and making sure that that support person finds some sort of support as yeah. well um i think is incredibly yeah. crucial <clears throat> i really uh I, I really well as i hear you speak um some of what you were just saying was was kind of making my mind go back to what we were talking about um in the earlier part of our conversation with uh really you know there being you know certain thoughts or preconceived notions or presuppositions that we have, basically the stigma of mental health. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think a lot of people probably look at mental health as something that, okay, well, now that you've gone to a therapist, you're good, right? Mm -hmm. You have that fixed. And, mm -hmm. and you're addressing that mm -hmm. in your conversation. You're saying, hey, it's a process. Mm -hmm. It's a journey. Mm -hmm. Just because, you know, there was an up doesn't mean there's not going to be another valley. Mm -hmm. and, and really understanding that I think is so powerful mm -hmm. and so important Especially because the idea that, uh, you know, your mental health issue is a one stop shop quick fix mm -hmm. or it's a one time, a one off occurrence in your life is rooted in this idea that you almost have to be quote unquote crazy mm -hmm. or something is wrong with you mm -hmm. in order for you to be deserving of help. Mm -hmm. And that is a part of the stigma that I think is difficult to put language to, but that is so inhibiting to so many people because what I'm hearing from you, Natalie, is that your journey with mental health is one similar to a person's journey with physical health. Mm -hmm. As you go through experiences in life, you're going to get a cold. You're yep. going to, you're going to catch a cough. Mm -hmm. You're going to have the flu. You know, you're going to have things. We don't look at our physical health as something I'm going to go to the doctor this one time what do you mean you're sick why are you sneezing you went to the doctor three years ago mm -hmm. and that's the way we look at mental health right. like it's okay well you've addressed it you had one thing with with therapy that's why i like when you say you know it's cyclical for mm -hmm. you because you've learned to recognize you know your your peaks and your valleys mm -hmm. and the rhythms of your mm -hmm. life and your emotions and something else that that i wanted to to, to hear more about that you identified earlier was triggers, the word mm -hmm. triggers. I want to talk a little bit about that, but just to finish this thought, I think it's so important for us. And what I'm hearing from your story is really for us to recognize that, um, just like your physical health, mental and emotional health is something that requires your constant attention. Yes. And just because it requires your attention more in certain seasons of your life than others does not mean that you are broken beyond fixing. Mm -hmm. It does not mean that you're quote unquote crazy with all the negative connotations that come along with the idea of being crazy. It does not mean that you are that you are um, any less of a person, mm -hmm. but rather that you're just being responsible with Absolutely. a part of your health. Mm -hmm. That's that's really good. Yeah. That's good. Um, let's circle back to the to the triggers thing. Do you feel like in your journey with therapy and just your journey with mental health in general, you've been able to identify some things that may be, um, what are some triggers for you in your um, depression and anxiety? Do you feel like you have a pretty good, a clear understanding of what some of those things are? Or, I think no? I'm, I'm still definitely learning. Yeah. I don't think that you ever get to the point. I mean, it would be fantastic if you know, I could list out. Here's the book of triggers. Yeah. Here is, here is everything that could trigger me. So I'm just going to avoid all of those things and yeah. golden. Yeah. Um, it's definitely still, I mean, I sat down with, uh, my therapist two days ago mm. and, you know, we were talking about one of my triggers being, uh, that I am not confident. Mm. 
you know, and feeling like I am not good enough or feeling like um, I am less deserving of things than others. And I think um, that's always been kind of a big one for me. And I think that's also why I uh, fought getting help for a long time. I didn't think I deserved it. I have had a, you know, in the grand scheme of things, a relatively happy childhood. You know, I've never, you know, gone through anything, you know, extremely traumatic. I mean, we all have, you know, our traumas and, um, but I always felt like I didn't, I didn't deserve it enough. You know, I was never physically abused or emotionally abused by, you know, my family or by anybody really. And so who am I to then be able to sit here and say, I have anxiety and depression. What makes you deserving of having those feelings? Yeah. You know, like you haven't been through anything that bad. Yeah. So you almost feel like you're taking something away from people who have gone through very incredibly traumatic things. And I think, um, there's a quote that I love, um, that probably on a meme that I saw somewhere, yeah. right? A person that drowns in two inches of water still drowned. Yes. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if your life has been fantastic. I mean, we see it all the time in, in people who live these lavish life lives, you know, they're yep. wealthy. They have all this privilege. They're famous and beautiful. And what do you have? And we always, I mean, as a society, we look at them and say, yep. Like, yep. what do you have to be depressed about? Right. What do you have to be anxious about? Right. You have a great life. Mm. Get over it, you mm. know? And, and in reality, you can have an absolutely fantastic life. Mm. And still be depressed mm. and still be anxious. And that is still valid. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And so I think taking that and, and saying, I'm no longer going to, I'm going to focus on my own journey and block out everybody else's and no longer invalidate myself and my experiences. Because sure, I mean, yeah, I'm, I've had a pretty good life, but it hasn't been perfect. Nobody's life has been perfect. Absolutely. We've all yep. gone through something, whether it's, you know, just something that someone would look at and be like, that's not a big deal or yeah. might not be a big deal to you. Right. But in my life, right. this right. was possibly the biggest deal, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So um, I think recognizing the fact that that stigma is really gets really internalized into people. Mm -hmm. And so that is one of my, to go back to your question, that's one of my biggest triggers is feeling like maybe I'm not worthy, you know, of feeling this way. Mm -hmm. And so in going to therapy and in learning more about myself I think that's probably the best thing about therapy is you really get to know yourself. And I'm at a point now where, yes, my depression is very cyclical. My anxiety is pretty much constant, but I'm able to identify, oh, we're headed in this direction. Right. You know, right. I'm incredibly now self-aware mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I can recognize 
this situation's not good for me. I need to, I need to step out of it for a second or, you know, huh? It's been a couple of days when I've been feeling like this. Maybe I need to talk to someone yeah. or maybe I need to, to break this in some way Yeah, and learning what helps, yeah. you know? I, I hear in your in your story that there's so much power in understanding some of these triggers. Um, and, and, and what's interesting, and I've never considered this until my conversation with you now, is how closely related um, stigma and triggers can be. Mm-hmm. Because for you, um, one of your triggers was closely related to stigma about mental health. Mm-hmm. And for you, it sounded like it's like, hey, well, I don't deserve to get help. I haven't had this type of life. And those are thoughts that you have and many of us have mm-hmm. as a result of the stigma that we think you have to be a certain level unwell mm-hmm. to have a mental illness. Mm-hmm. You have to look a certain way. You need to have a certain type of life or you need to have had enough traumatic experiences. Mm-hmm. You need to have gone through mm-hmm. this really bad thing in order for you to have the type of mental health that deserves attention. Mm-hmm. And I think there's so much power in breaking down just the thoughts behind that stigma Absolutely. as well. Because, yeah, I mean, we kill ourselves in comparison to each other. Mm-hmm. We really do. And there's so many people not receiving the support, not pursuing the help, because they really feel like they don't deserve it. And those are powerful words. I don't often think of it that way, I think. But there's people that truly feel no, that type of help, therapy, medication, those type of things are for this type of person. Mm-hmm. And I did not live that life, so I couldn't possibly be that person. Mm-hmm. And if that is you today and you're listening, we really want to speak against that because you do deserve help. Absolutely. You do deserve just as much attention as somebody else who may have struggled three times more than you. Um, there is no type of abuse or experience or lifestyle that qualifies you for help. Your struggle is valid. Absolutely. That is That is really good. That's really good, Natalie. Um, I want to ask: um, Have you ever have you ever struggled with any suicidal ideation, or has your mental health journey ever taken you to that extent? Absolutely, uh, I have been extremely suicidal in the past. Recently, mm-hmm. you know, um, not just once. You know, over the years, that is something that I have struggled with, uh. and. I have made plans. I have taken steps. And I thank God that to this day I'm still here. Yeah. You know, you will never regret not doing it mm. is is my thought. You know, but absolutely. Mm. Yes, that's that's something that I think if you've ever been there it Nothing, nothing prepares you for that feeling. And there are very few things that feel as bad as I'm completely giving up. Mm. Completely just, I'm done. Mm. And I mean, again, I have a beautiful family. I have an amazing son, you know. I should be happy, right? But why am I not? Mm. So I think that recognizing where I am in my journey is incredibly important. And I think that's incredibly important for a lot of people because I thank God that to this day, I have not gone through with it. Mm. 
but what's to say that that won't happen in the future, you know? So, of course, what can we do? We take the steps that are necessary. We seek help. Yeah. You know, we tell someone. Um, Keith has been on the receiving end of me telling him mm. that I've had a plan multiple times, mm. you know? And I think that... I mean, I don't know. It's 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 not something that's easily explainable. Absolutely. You know, yeah. it's not something that when you ask why, you know, why someone has gone through this, why someone would take that step. I don't have an answer. No. Nope. Even though I have been there. Right. You know. Right. Um, it feels like there is no other way, Yeah, you know, and, and someone can sit there and present to you 10 different ways All the logic. to get yeah. af- out of this situation. But at that point, you're no longer listening to logic. Yeah. And I'll be honest, the only reason why I am still here is because my husband has physically stopped me mm. from leaving my house mm. to go kill myself. Mm. Like that is the reality of it. Mm. It's you can have everything going, going back to where we were, what we were talking about. You can have absolutely everything going for you. You know, you can have a absolutely beautiful family. I have a, beautiful son you know and I still go there yeah because it's still a journey Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and I'm in a better place now you know I'm in a place where I can talk about it I'm in a place where um I am no longer afraid for my own life against myself you know um but I'm not done. Yeah. Yeah. So can this happen again? Right. Yeah. Will it happen again? I hope not, Yeah. but it might, Yeah. you know, and all I can do is stay on the journey. Mm. And all I can do is continue to take steps to recognizing where I'm coming from, Yep. you know, and being able to meet, meet myself, you know, and really sit myself down and have a conversation with myself and say, what do we need to do to fix us? And for me, it's been medication. For me, it's been therapy. For me, it's been dragging myself out of bed Mm -hmm. and forcing myself to participate in life, you know, because when I was having those panic attacks every single day, I didn't go to church for a year. Mm. You know, I didn't, I would go to work and I would come home and I'd get in my bed and I wouldn't come out. Mm. And that was my life for almost a year. Mm. Um, I mean, and it was, 
it was hell. Mm -hmm. It was living hell. Mm -hmm. And the only way that I saw out was just dying, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I'm still on the journey. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and tell you yeah. I'm good. Yeah. You know, I understand everything that there is to know about my own mental health. Yeah. I uh, have done all the work. Uh, I've done the medication. I've done the therapy and I'm good for the rest of my life. That's not, it's not true. Mm. I want to, I want to first, and just in response to everything that you shared now, just acknowledge your vulnerability and thank you for your courage and self-disclosure because um, there are three really, really powerful things that you just did. Um, You normalized, you humanized, and you validated the phenomenon of suicide Mm. and suicidal thoughts. Mm. And the sphere of mental health that always surrounds that phenomenon. Mm. Um, It is not a one-off thing. It is not a, um, it is not something that exists independent. It's interrelated in so many aspects and areas of our life. And we can hear as you, through your story and the things that you share, you know, that there, there is a, a, a journey with depression. There's a journey with anxiety. There are other things that, that can magnify and that can lead a person to that type of decision. But I think there's so much power in normalizing it not just as a person who has survived, mm-hmm. but a person who is still currently in, on the journey. Mm-hmm. And I think often we frame encouragement to a person who may be experiencing you know, suicidal ideation as something that can be done from the mouth of a person who's only on the other side of it rather Mm -hmm. than somebody who's currently in that struggle. Mm -hmm. And just to hear you acknowledge that, hey, I'm in this journey. This is a journey I'm still on, something that I still struggle with. Um, I I see even more strength in that than I would see in a a person who would say, yeah, you know, I tried one time or or a long time ago, I haven't had any thoughts Mm -hmm. because it shows that day to day you're making a decision that Mm -hmm. today when you woke up, you overcame by coming here and having Mm -hmm. this conversation. And I think there's so much power in that for people to hear and for people to see the fact that you've been able to shed the scales and the skin of the of the shame and the stigma surrounding some of the things that you've experienced in your mental health journey has enabled you to sit here today and have add so much value to the lives of our listeners mm-hmm. and to the people who are watching this podcast mm-hmm. today because there is hope for you where you are in your journey. Mm-hmm. There is hope for you where you are in your struggle. Mm-hmm. It's not hope hope is not something that manifests in your life once you've Stop struggling. Yeah. There's hope for you right here, right now. And you are a living, breathing testimony to that. Yeah. Thank you, Natalie. Um, if you were, if you were, I have just a, you know, a couple more questions before we close. If you were to, if you were to, if you had the opportunity to speak, no, this is what I want you to do. I want you to speak to the person who's currently experiencing suicidal ideation who is Mm. currently thinking and you've gone through much more than I 
you've experienced as far as that is concerned much more than I was really aware of um, in terms of not only having the ideation. Ideation is a word we use just to explain thoughts around, Mm -hmm. you know, I wonder what it would be like. That's ideation. Mm -hmm. Um, Ideation can be a thought as simple as um, it would be better if I wasn't here. These Mm -hmm. simple, seemingly harmless thoughts Mm -hmm. are called ideation, right? Because they can lead into other other eventually actions right mm-hmm. so a person who's experiencing those type of thoughts uh, for whatever reason what would you say to that person um, especially again this is coming from this is coming from you Natalie a person who's not only experienced ideation but attempts and those are two different things mm-hmm. as well ideation is not an attempt an mm-hmm. attempt is the next thing and the plan is really what merges mm-hmm. those two is a person who has ideation with no plan mm-hmm. is at a different level of severity than a person who has exactly. ideation a plan and then an attempt and mm-hmm. you've gone through all three of those stages mm-hmm. of suicide so So what what would you say to that person who's experiencing that phase one, those ideations? Tell somebody. As much as you don't want to. Tell somebody. Because. Holding it in and. Not telling somebody is is extremely dangerous. Um. If nobody knows that you need help, they can't help you, you know? And if you're at a point where you are having suicidal ideation, and now this is coming from my own personal experience. Everybody's different, you know? But for me, once I was at the point where I was having suicidal ideation, and once I was at the point when I, where I started planning things um there was very little time to number one stop myself number two revert course right um and i know that if i had if i hadn't said anything and if i hadn't told anyone i probably wouldn't be here Uh. you know it's an incredibly lonely feeling. Yeah. And so you need to realize that you have you have someone. Everybody has at least one person. And if you don't feel like you have anyone, honestly, it's what the church is for, right? Yeah. Yeah. Call the pastor. Yeah. Call so- anyone. Anyone. Yeah. The the thing that has saved my life mm. has been sitting down and saying, I thought about killing myself today. Mm. And the first question that your therapist will ask you if you talk to your to a therapist after during a suicidal episode or, you know, while you're going through this, the very first question that the therapist will ask you if do you have any plans? Right. And be honest. Yeah. You know, um, I was, I have been able to sit down and tell Keith, hey, I thought about killing myself today. Mm-hmm. And he has asked me, did you have plans? Yes. I was going to do this and then this and then this. And so it's almost like 
throwing yourself one last lifeline, Mm -hmm. you know, and just seeing, can you, it's, it's, it's the last chance. So can I take that chance? Mm -hmm. And for me, that has saved my life. Mm. And I mean, everybody is different and, and, you know, I can't say that what has worked for me will work for everyone. But if I can recommend one thing, tell somebody, Mm. you know, and be honest, say, I thought about killing myself today and it's not a joke. Mm. I'm being serious. You know, it's not a threat. Um, it's, it's not like, Oh gosh, you know, I couldn't find a parking spot. So I wanted to kill myself. Like, no, 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 no. Actually sit someone down and say, Hey, I, I seriously considered and have been planning Mm. ending my life. Mm -hmm. And for me, you know, the very first thing that, that my husband has said, okay, Okay. Mm-hmm. Not why. Mm. Not mm. how could you? Not how dare you? Mm. Not just okay. You know? Okay. What do you want to do? Mm-hmm. You know? Do you want us to call your therapist? Do you want me to call your parents? Do you want to, let's go outside. Let's go take a walk. Let's figure out a plan to move forward together and to figure out how we can revert course. Because if you keep heading down the course that you're on, you won't be around anymore. Yeah. You know? And so I think for me having that support of someone that I can disclose to is incredibly valuable. And I think it's so important to talk, check on your strong friends, yeah. right? Yeah. Check, check on the, check on the people that you haven't seen in a while. Yeah. You know, give them a call Yeah, just see how they're doing. They might not, you know, you might call and they might be like, oh, I'm fine. Right. You know? Right. I have said I am fine. I'm fine. To hundreds of people probably. Sure. And I'm very much not fine. Yeah. You know? Um, but I think when we do lose someone to suicide... The hardest thing I think for for us as as humans is what could I have done? Yep. You know, a lot of times the answer is nothing. Yeah. You know? That's hard to swallow too. And that is hard to swallow. People um people die from heart disease. Mm-hmm. You know, people die from cancer, people die from People die in car accidents yeah. that are unavoidable, Yep. you know, and if we talk about mental health and we see it as what it is, mm-hmm. an illness, 
Right. You know, people, I don't, I don't know if, if, if it's right to say, you know, this person gave up. Right. I don't, I don't think that's the case, you know, um, I think this person lost their battle, Mm. Mm -hmm. you know, just like we say that someone lost their battle to heart disease. Sure. You know, sure. This person lost their battle due to mental illness. Yeah. They lost their battle to suicide. Yeah. Because it's what it is. It's a battle. And, and, and sometimes Sometimes you're strong enough to get up and fight and sometimes you're not, you know? I know the narrative in the church for so many um, when it comes to to suicide is just this idea that, uh, you know, well, that's a sin. It's a sin that you committed and you didn't have the chance to... Um, be forgiven for that sin mm-hmm. or for ask for forgiveness. So sorry, you're not going to be in heaven. And now that is a false teaching that I right now in the name of Jesus want to speak against because that is absolute that, that ideology absolutely flies in the face of grace. Mm-hmm. Um, it absolutely diminishes the value of the work that Christ did on the cross. Um, if our salvation hinged on our ability to ask for forgiveness for every sin, why then would we need a justifier? Why would we need justification for them? Mm-hmm. Why would we need the sacrifice mm-hmm. that Christ made? Absolutely. And so, um, for those that are listening who have heard that in, in the church, um, you know, that, you know, that's the impardonable sin. That mm-hmm. is absolutely not nope. the case. That is not what the impardonable sin is. And that's not what the Bible teaches, um, at all. And uh, honestly, that narrative. I don't know if people think that it would help being like, well, don't do it. it right. Cause if, either. cause if you do it, then right. you, you're going to go straight to hell. Right. Life is hell. So why is that going to, is that supposed yeah, to help? That is, like, no, yeah, that of course is, not. That is even, even worse. So I know, I know that the, the, this, you know, the, we talk in spaces podcast is a podcast hosted by Relove church. Natalie, what, what would you say? Um, what can we do better as a church? Um, maybe not just relove, but church in general. What yeah. what do people like yourself and others in your circumstances need from the church that the church has denied them, or that the church has not paid attention to, or is unaware of? What can the church do better to help serve some of the needs of of people struggling with their mental health? Um, I think that the number one thing that the church can do is uh, provide resources. Mm. Um, sitting down and talking to a pastor is great. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, I love pastors. Don't get me wrong, but pastors are not mental health professionals. Right. And so, um, I think that what the church needs to do is not try to fix it themselves. Yeah. You know, is, is connect people yep. to, you know, actual licensed therapists, mm-hmm. people who can provide help that, I mean, yes, a pastor can provide spiritual help and that's, super important Mm -hmm. but in terms of actual mental health treatment you know you you have to go to a licensed professional yeah um and i think being able to come to the church and say hey i'm struggling with this i need help with this this and this i mean the church helps when people don't have food right yeah yeah you know 
here's uh or you know when people are leaving a, a precarious situation the church can has a list i mean I, i've worked in the church we have a list right. of shelters right we have a list of uh food, food banks. banks yeah you know so the church should really have a list yeah. of mental health professionals absolutely of you know mental health centers in the yeah. area um resources that you can hand to someone and say listen i don't have the answers yeah you know I haven't been through it. I will be praying for you, yeah. but you need to call one of these people on this mm-hmm, list mm-hmm. because they're going to be the ones that will actually be able to help you. Mm. Um, I think also as a church, it can be extremely difficult. Uh, I know, I mean, I've grown up in the church, right? I was born into the church and for me, my experience growing up, my family was a first pew family. Hmm. So we were always front pew, yeah. you know, front pew, left side. And there was a lot of, for me, um, I felt a lot of pressure to keep it together, mm-hmm. right? It didn't matter what was going on at home, if anything was going on at home. It didn't matter if I was depressed. It didn't matter if I was anxious. I was front we were a front pew family. I was on the worship team. I would, you know, I would go up there and sing and praise. Yeah. And all of that is real. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's not a it's not a show that you put on, but there is this expectation mm. where you walk through the doors of the church and you're supposed to leave all of that outside. Yeah. yeah. You know, you're supposed to, I mean, we've all heard that sermon. Right? Leave your burdens at the door. Sure. Yep. You know, Jesus has got it. And yes, mm-hmm. Jesus has got it. Mm-hmm. But there are some burdens that you can't take off. Right. Um, I was, I was talking to Keith the other day and my analogy for my anxiety, it's, it's a backpack, but it's not a backpack that I can remove. The backpack has been surgically attached to me, to my body. Yeah. And I can try and sit down. But have you ever tried to sit down with a backpack on? It's there. It's always there. And I don't have the tools to take it off. So when I go to church and someone says, leave your burden at the door. Right, right. How? Yeah. You know? So I think part of breaking that stigma is moving away from that mentality Yeah, is moving away from you have to walk in here, leaving everything outside and God will help you. Mm-hmm. No, bring your stuff in Yeah, and let us and God yeah. help you carry it together. Absolutely. Together. Yeah. Because as soon as I walk out, I'm going to pick up my bag again right. and walk right. right out. Right. right. So, if the stuff doesn't come in, yeah, it's just gonna. It's a cycle. Yep. You drop it off at the door. Pick it up when you go. Pick up. it up when yeah. you go home. But if yeah. you bring the stuff in, and and you say, okay, I'm willing to receive help. Mm-hmm. As a church, mm-hmm. we can help someone yeah. carry that. Yeah. With the help of God, of course. Yeah. You know. So I think. That, and then I mean, that 
all ties right back Absolutely. into the stigma Absolutely. of it all. Yeah. Natalie, this has been a really, really powerful conversation. I mean, just just from hearing from a person who's currently in in the journey and somebody who has made progress in your journey, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, I, I want to acknowledge the fact that you know that you are not today where you were yesterday mm-hmm. in this journey. And there's something to be said about that. I, I don't want to minimize other people who may be just beginning their journey. And, you know, you you have some experience in this mm-hmm. now. Um, so we thank you for the resource that you've been to the listeners and and to Relove Church. I think um, there is, uh, you know, so much that we discussed. We've talked about anxiety in our time together, about depression. You know, coming firsthand from somebody who's experienced it and and who's currently on that journey. You know, we've talked about, um, you know, suicide and suicidal ideation, as well as, you know, the stigma behind them that can Mm -hmm. be just as detrimental to the well-being of other people as suicide itself. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've talked about, you know, um, one of the things that I really want to echo that you said is that if somebody's listening and they are having thoughts of suicide and they are struggling with their mental health, you know, the, the one thing to take away from this is tell somebody, Mm -hmm. tell someone. Um, So if you're listening and that's you, please tell someone. And I just want to take a quick minute, you know, just to um, let you know that even if you don't feel like you have a person, you can always call the suicide hotline, the Mm -hmm. the national suicide prevention hotline. The number is 1-800-273-8255. Somebody will answer the phone Mm -hmm. and they'll actually take you through a series of crisis intervention questions Mm -hmm. to determine where you are. There's also different languages. Um, So even if you don't speak English, they can help accommodate you and meet you where you are with that as well. So um, I also heard, Natalie, that, you know, the the call to the church to really begin working intentionally on Mm destigmatizing some of these harmful thoughts we have around the idea of needing help, Mm -hmm. the idea of leaving your your dirt at the door when you come into the church. Um, And I also heard a lot, you know, in addition to the stigma that you're talking about, but a call for churches to begin being a hub of resources Mm -hmm. for people to help being able to redirect, recognize as a church that we are not the the end all be all. Mm -hmm. God is, Mm -hmm. but that's not what we are. We as a church are an agency representative of the work of God. And in doing that, we need to do better at redirecting, referring and resourcing people with tangible resources that can really help them where they are in their battle. So we heard you. Um, Natalie, thank you so much. And thank all of you for for listening. Um, And we really appreciate the opportunity that we've had just to to share um, and spend time uh, really going through some of the stuff that's so close to many of our hearts. So thank you guys. We'll see you next episode here at the Spaces Podcast.